Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest on uh, Wednesday, November the 14th. We're going to be talking about Jonah today. And with me uh, is Joe Works in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Today he's in Fairlawn, New Jersey. How are you doing today, Joe? Hi, Jeff. I'm doing just fine yourself. Very well. Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yep, uh, that's right. I, it's incredible how I have to think about that every time, every time. Harrisburg, Harrisburg. You want me to write it on my forehead? That, that, that would be exceedingly helpful. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Jonah, guys. And as we get into this, let me remind our viewers, uh, we would especially enjoy to enjoy having your comments, your feedback. If you'd like to send us comments or questions as we discuss Jonah, you can do so in the comments section as, if you're watching us by means of Facebook or if you are watching us by means of the uh, BibleQuest.tv page, there's a little Q&A uh, tab that you can use to get to us. Um, so let's talk about Jonah, guys. Let's just start with the story. About almost 800 years, probably almost 800 years before the birth of Jesus, we have this story of a prophet named Jonah, and uh, of course the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, uh, way up to the northeast of Israel. Is what going been a Gentile nation? Say what? He said, would that have been a Gentile nation? Would have been a Gentile nation, which is important. That's going to have some bearing when we talk about Jonah's attitude toward these people. So let's get started with the story. Which, which you guys want, want to get started? Just telling the story. Kurt, let can me I, set this up can real I quick. mention one thing beforehand, just as far as your, uh, your dating or the timing of uh, the, the book and so forth? Yeah. Uh, and maybe I'm getting ahead somewhere. But So this same Jonah is mentioned over in 2 Kings. Uh, that, that really helps us to put down right where he's at, why it's important, uh, what makes the story even more significant, right? Yes, he is he's mentioned in connection with the reign of Jeroboam II, I believe, king of Israel. And um, so, so we know this man from the historical accounts, and then we have this book uh, of his story. This is the famous story of Jonah and the whale. Um, now, Whale is what I think the King James Version said. The Hebrew doesn't necessarily say whale. It was a great sea creature of some sort. And it was one the Bible says God prepared. And that, I think, is significant. But let's, let's seriously, let's walk through the story. We've only, we only have 45 minutes, and there's a lot to say about the book of Jonah and the story. Um, so we've got to do this quickly. But which one of you guys want to start us through the story? Sure, I'll, I'll maybe run through the first uh, chapter or so. Yeah, sure. So, and we're, we will is, interrupt you as you go, just like that. Yeah, uh, Jonah friend. is a prophet of God, um, and the Lord tells him to go to Nineveh and to preach against it because their wickedness has come up before him. Now, this is interesting that a Jewish prophet is being sent to a Gentile nation. Yeah, and so that's not real common uh, for that to take place through the Old Testament, by the way. Yeah, and I'd imagine if you were a Jewish prophet, this wouldn't necessarily be the, the greatest task you would want to do to go have to talk to a bunch of Gentiles. Oh, no? And so what did Jonah do? Well, well he, he got up and left. Uh, he, God told him to go, and he went. He just went in the opposite direction. Yeah, what do you guys think it means when it says flee to Tarshish? What do you understand Tarshish to be? Uh, so it's a port city. Okay. Um, and so he, he's going to get on a boat and go away. He does not want to go to Assyria. Yeah, as I understand it, there are a couple of different possibilities. One is that it's a reference to Spain, 
And another is that it's a reference to some of the coastlands that would be around Turkey and Greece and that area. But uh, and some might even, I guess, um, think of it in connection with Tarsus of Cilicia. But basically, he's heading out in the Mediterranean instead of heading northeast toward Nineveh. So, okay, then what happens? So the Lord is not pleased with him, and so the Lord sends a storm uh, against that ship that Jonah is in. And uh, the ship begins to, to be broken up. It's being battered, and the, the sailors all are afraid. They begin to try to save themselves, throw their cargo over to make the ship lighter so it won't sink. Uh, they begin to, to pray to, to their idols, to their gods. Um, and uh, that's what, what was Jonah doing during this time? Jonah is taking a nap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so the captain of the ship says, hey, what, you need to get up and pray to your God. We're all desperately praying to our gods. And one of the things I cannot understand is how is he even possibly sleeping through this? I, I think it, it really does show sort of his, his – uh, giving up, um, uh, you know, because when the captain does call on him to uh, to get up and call upon his God, um, they cast lots then to see who's the troublemaker. Yeah. You know, the, the lot falls to Jonah. They ask Jonah what's the deal, and he says that this is because of uh, uh, what he's done against uh, his God. In, interesting, just a brief observation here. Today, in today's age, we consider it superstitious when people think, oh, such and such happened. God must have done that. And certainly there, there are people who are too quick to suppose they know what God is doing here or there. But I'm not sure, but what we've swung to the opposite extreme when we live in an era where um, people can't imagine that events in the world could be directed by God. These people had the idea, you know what, God may be behind this, even if they didn't understand who the true God was. Right. And he was. Very valid point. Yeah. Um, uh, and so when they asked Jonah who his God is, where he's from, he says that he's a Hebrew. It's interesting. He says in verse 9, I fear the Lord. Uh, he's not doing that at this point. Um, and, uh, but he then describes the God that he serves as the God of the sea and the land. Well, that immediately makes the sailors quite fearful then. He's the troublemaker. The lot's been cast on him. They're yeah. pointing the finger at him. They believe it's him. And he says, my God's the God who is in charge of the, the, all the land and all the sea. Yeah. One of the questions they ask is, how could you do this? Um, <laughs> and even from, from a bunch of pagans, you know, they understand if you, if you serve this God, why would you think that you can run away from him? And by the way, your, your quote was a direct quote. From verse 10. How could you do this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Jonah's solution then is that if they would just throw him overboard, everything would be okay for them. Mm -hmm. So they it, did. Yeah. They, now, uh, they weren't eager to. <laughs> yeah, they don't do it at first. Yeah. They, they, they try to save Jonah. Uh, they don't want to, to just throw him over, um, which is, of course, a pretty stark contrast to the attitude that Jonah had toward other Gentiles. He didn't want to go to Syria to save them, but here these pagan sailors are trying to save Jonah. It's uh, th this book is full of contrast like that. Mm -hmm. An irony. 
Yes. All right. So once they throw him overboard and then the sea calms and stopped its raging, verse 16 says, the men feared the Lord greatly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord, verse 17, appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Well, that took an odd turn. Yeah. <laughs> then what? Uh, then the men are exceedingly fearful, or, or they fear the Lord exceedingly, verse 16. I think that's interesting. The sailors then become believers in, in Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, to, 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 to some extent, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. that's the case. Mm-hmm. So, so, so chapter 2 I, I don't think we're supposed to, supposed to think that chapter 2 is written while Jonah is in the stomach of this great fish, but he describes what he was going through when he was there. And among the things that he says is, in verse 2, I called out of my distress to the Lord. He'd started out running away from the Lord and the, the responsibility the Lord had given him. Now he's in trouble, and he calls out to the Lord, and he says, and we'll come back to this in a minute, I called out of my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. And of course, Sheol, the New Testament word that represents Sheol is Hades. And so we'll come back to that in a few minutes. All right, so he cries out, and then what happens? The, the Lord uh, responds to him. Uh, well, so he cries out to God. Uh, I, so here's the way that I read this. Uh, feel free to, to correct me on this. When he cries out to God because he's drowning, that's God sends the fish as a means of saving him. I think a lot of times, and especially early on, I had the view that the fish was part of the punishment. But I see the fish as part of the salvation mm-hmm. of Jonah. He's drowning in the sea. The, the fish is what's going to save him. Yeah. Verse 5, water encompassed me to the point of death. Right. Yeah, but you go back to verse 1, and it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and right. he said. Yeah, and so he's praying these things, and he's saying, I was thinking to the bottom of the ocean, um, uh, my, felt, my soul fainted, then I remembered the Lord, um, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and he saved me. Uh, verse 9, for example. Um, so, uh, again, I, I don't know. There's a whole lot of distinction to be made in that, but um, the the fish seems to be the means by which God is 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 bringing him back up from the ocean. Well, uh, I'll I'll go with you this far. Certainly, the fish is the means whereby God makes a profound impression upon Jonah, and apparently also upon the men of Nineveh. Um, jumping ahead a little bit in Luke the eleventh chapter. In verse 30, Jesus says, For even as Jonah became a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. It seems that the people of Nineveh, when this prophet comes preaching to them the message of God, they're ready to listen to him because they've been impressed. This is the guy who was swallowed by a great fish and now stands before us alive. Well, Anybody that would have heard this story or seen, you know, him coming up out of the sea, um, you know, the, the fish vomiting him up on the dry land or whatever, you know, that's not an everyday occurrence. Nope. Now, he goes to Nineveh, and and he spends um, 
he spent some time preaching, uh, saying that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Do we read that he went saying to Nineveh, hey, you people need to repent. You need to turn to God. No, there doesn't seem to be any indication that he is trying to convert them. He's just trying to, it seems that he's just trying to set forth the proclamation. He yeah. is doing the bare minimum for sure. Yeah. Sometimes people maybe will blame the messenger for their lack of obedience. Well, I didn't have somebody um, telling me the truth who seemed to care enough about me or say it in a nice way or whatever. These people in Nineveh didn't have somebody like that. They had a guy who really, the reason he didn't go to Nineveh in the first place is because he wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. They're enemies of Israel. And uh, so he didn't want to go. And so when he does go, he does what the Lord said, but that's all. He just says, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. So his message, and here's just the way that I, I picture what he's doing. Um, most of us have uh, listening this afternoon uh, have seen videos or pictures of the Westboro Baptist Church in, I think, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, they, they're protest and, you know, screaming at people and just yelling, you know, damnation and so forth. Uh, with not showing any love at all. That's sort of insults. Yeah, that's, that's probably not a bad comparison. Okay, now what? But nevertheless, as you said, uh, this tremendous city, they repent uh, from top to the bottom. Uh, they believe God, verse 5 of chapter 3, proclaim a fast, put on sackcloth. Um, everybody from the king down is uh, showing their repentance toward God. And Jonah's attitude when they repent? Uh, he's tickled to death. <laughs> <laughs> tickled pink, right? <laughs> okay. He, he, is, he is not happy at all. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, he's displeased at God. How displeased? Um, well, it says that he became, ex- he became angry, exceedingly displeased and angry at God. Uh, um, uh, you know, verse, uh, verse 2. Oh, Lord, was this not what I said? Still in my country? Therefore, I fled. Uh, Yeah, go on with that. In order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew, God, if I went and preached to them and they repented, you'd let them off the hook. And he didn't want to see that. And so he's so angry, he says in verse (laughs) 3, Lord, please take my life from me. Death is better than me, to me than life. Yeah. Uh, All right. Incredible that, that a prophet of God would, would take that attitude toward those who are lost. Uh, but, of course, he didn't just view them as lost. He viewed them as enemies. And God had a question for him. Yeah. Do you have good reason to be angry? And he thought he did. So he went over to, to a distant hilltop where he could sit and watch apparently hoping yet the city might be destroyed. And what happens next? Well, ever so ironically, uh, God appoints this plant to grow up over his head, uh, and it was shade that was going to give him comfort. And uh, the Bible says in verse 6 of chapter 4, deliver him from his discomfort. And you know what, Jonah? He was extremely happy about that. He liked that plant. You notice the, the phrase God appointed a plant. And previously it said God appointed the great fish. This plant is not a natural occurrence. This is something God caused to happen. 
that fish was apparently not a natural occurrence. It's something God caused to happen. And then God's going to appoint something else. What's that? Something on the land, this, this plant. Well, and then a third thing. The, the, the worm that's going to eat the plant. Yes. And so the worm now destroys Jonah's shade. And how does Jonah feel about that? Now he's upset. He's lost the shade. He's lost his comfort. Yeah. And so God again says in verse 9, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, I have good reason to be angry even to death. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand? In other words, children, I take that to be. Right, right. Yeah, innocent. As well as many animals. God's creation. It, we, we, it's the, you know, we might make note the book of Jonah is the only book to end with a question. Well, that's, um, that's not true. Oh, is it not? Nahum also ends in a question. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> I've heard people say Jonah is the only book that ends with a question. No, the only two books that end with a question are both written to Nineveh. Oh, okay. about Nineveh. Well, I've, I've swallowed that line hook, line, and sinker. This is why we keep Chase on the program. That's right. Thank you, Chase. But it concludes with this observation. God is concerned for his creation. You've got this Jewish prophet, and he's not concerned about what becomes of Nineveh, but God is. And so let's go back now and and talk about several things. First of all, did this really happen? Well, I mean, it says that it happened. Uh, You know, the the book is written as if it happened. First thing to see is that there's nothing in the story that starts with yeah. once upon a time or something like that. <laughs> in a land yeah. far, far away. <laughs> it's, it's written as, as a historical event. Yeah. What reason are we What reason are we given to believe that this is not a real story? I well, think. a fish swallowing a guy and he lives in it for three days. That just seems incredible. Yeah, it almost sounds like a children's story, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. And sometimes that's what we think of Jonah as, just a children's story. And so all, you know, somebody pointed out, and I can't remember now who this was, um, that nothing in the Bible is unbelievable if you accept God with a capital G. That's right. You know, here's the thing. If this story, theologians by and large do not believe that this really happened. Uh, the greatest theologian of all time apparently believed that this did happen, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but theologians on earth today, by and large, do not believe that this actually happened. But if we had this story just exactly as it is, except that when the storm came up and they were worried about the storm, Jonah had said, throw me overboard, and they'd thrown him overboard, and he had washed ashore on an island and was there for three days crying out to the Lord and then said, I'll do what you want, Lord, and then a ship had picked him up and he'd gone to Nineveh. And if the rest of the story had turned out just like this, people wouldn't doubt the story. But when you say he was swallowed by a great fish, all of a sudden we, we feel compelled to find some explanation that allows us to say, well, yes, I believe the Bible, but this is really a literary device or something. But if I believe in God with, as you said, with a capital G, if I believe the miracles that, that Jesus walked on the water, if I re- believe that Lazarus was raised from the dead, 
I believe God created everything in six days. If I believe these things, if I believe God separated the waters of the Red Sea, I can believe this. If I can believe God appointed a worm and God appointed a plant, I can believe God appointed a fish. I understand scientifically, even though there have been a couple of, of incidents where people historically say, well, here's a case where somebody was swallowed by a fish and lived. I understand that it's a little hard to imagine how that works, that I'm in the belly of a fish for three days underwater and I live. I understand that. But if we believe there's a God who is doing things that normally can't happen, then I can believe this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, well, I, I think maybe uh, one of the greatest ways to dispel that is a connection that you're going to make in a little bit. Well, you, you go ahead and make it. Well, this does not seem all that incredible if Jesus could come out of the tomb after three days. Oh, well, that's, okay, we'll get there. <laughs> but, okay, but, okay, let's, let's go ahead and make that connection. So, Jesus is going to spend three days in the grave, and he's going to be raised. And, and Jesus himself draws the parallel to Jonah, and he does so in such a way that seems to indicate he believed this really happened. Let's turn to these passages, Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11. Um, I'll read Matthew chapter 12. Uh, this is after Jesus has cast the demon out of a man. And then, oddly, some Pharisees, uh, some scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and say, we want to see a sign from you. Well, he's been giving lots of signs. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the, and this trans translation actually says whale, but the footnote says sea monster, basically some great sea creature. Uh, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea creature, so shall the Son of Man... <coughs> be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <coughs> Get it in Luke, one of you guys. Yeah, uh, Luke, the, the 10th chapter, or excuse me, the 11th chapter, um, a similar context as Matthew's account, says, as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So, it, I mean, Jesus seems to be saying this really happened. That seems to be the assumption. And people will say, well, uh, you know, Jesus could allude to a fictional story. You might say, um, uh, who's a fictional character? Paul Bunyan? Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, whoever. You might say, like, Paul Bunyan's docks or something, and, 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 and you're not meaning he really existed. You're just using this well-known story to make a point. Um, yeah, Jesus could have done that, but he doesn't seem to be doing that. He's referring to a story that was part of the Jewish scriptures, which the Jews believed happened, and uh, there's no reason to believe it didn't happen. It wasn't an actual incident unless... I just believe God can't prepare a great fish that could swallow man and keep him alive. And, do, and doing this kind of thing to any um, New Testament writer, uh, especially someone like Jesus, in his case speaking, 
uh, just saying because they they couldn't have thought that was real because they're just using it as an illustration. Well, that's just foolish. Paul in Romans 5, uh, of course, he talks about as an Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, is Paul then saying that Adam never existed because he's just using it as an illustration? Well, of course not. We wouldn't say that. Um, and so to reason that way is just downright silly. One, one writer, um, one great Old Testament scholar argued that the point of, of Jonah is really didactic, not historical. That is, it's really meant to teach some things. It's not really meant to say something really happened. You know, really the whole Old Testament is didactic. It's meant to teach something. The story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, wandering in the wilderness, and being disobedient and failing to enter the promised land, that generation. That, according to 1 Corinthians 10, is didactic. It, these things happen to them, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, I think it is. These things happen to them by way of example, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. These things happened to them, and they were written as a lesson to us. That doesn't mean it wasn't historical. It really happened, but it was recorded to teach something. So yes, Jonah was recorded to teach something. That doesn't mean it didn't really happen. So now my question is, guys, what does it teach? What is the point of the book of Jonah? What do you think? Well, let, me, let me just interject one thought there. Uh, for, I mean, I, I think you handled the, the, the argument pretty well, but uh, in Luke 11, 29 and 30, just insert there whatever you somebody might think that this is, figurative language or a fictional event or something like that. Um, when Jesus says, this is an evil generation that seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the fictional sign of Jonah the prophet. <laughs> the fictional Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites <laughs> of this generation. I mean, it, it makes the point pointless. Right. I think you're right. It, it is one thing, and, and we do use, you know, whether it's, you know, Marvel Comics, you know, thinking of Stan Lee right now or whatever, but, yeah. you know, whatever the case, we use that in illustrations. But Jesus is trying to drive home an extremely important theological salvational, is that a word? Um, uh, you know, it, it is, this is not just something where he's just comparing two things. It's okay for one of them to be fictional. If it was just fiction, it wasn't much of a sign. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, you, we, we're, and we'll come back to in a moment the fact that we've got this parallel between Jonah and Jesus, and we'll talk about the messianic uh, aspects of the book of Jonah if we get time. Hope we do. But first of all, just the book of Jonah, uh, aside from the fact that it foreshadows Jesus in the tomb, in the grave for three days, and then being raised up, what is the point of the book of Jonah? What lesson do we find or lessons therein? Well, I think, I think one of them uh, describes an attribute and a character of God that's consistent in Scripture and Exodus, and Paul repeats again in Romans 9. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Uh, it is not up to us to decide who's mercy, or where God's mercy goes and who it goes to. And that, and that passage is quoted in Romans, the, the ninth chapter, where Paul is making the point that the Israel of God 
is not just the biological descendants of Abraham, but it's those who walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, as he says in Romans 4. It includes Gentiles, and justification is on the basis of faith, or the condition of faith, not biological ancestry in Abraham, not circumcision, not keeping the law. God has the right to do that. And so here in the book of Jonah, an Old Testament book, a, a book written by a Jew. Uh, we've got a Jewish prophet named Jonah. What we have is a lesson uh, that even then God was saying, I am concerned about all of my creation. You know, God had said to Abraham, there was going to be a blessing for all families of the earth through Abraham's descendants, not just for Israel. And you go look at such books as Micah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, talking about the future when many nations would come to the mountain of the house of the Lord. This was the goal. Um, and so that's, I think, the, the big lesson, one big lesson here in the book of Jonah. Yeah, absolutely. First Timothy 2, 4, God desires all men to be saved. Um, that, that's always been the case. Messianic elements in the book of Jonah. So as we have this lesson about God's concern for all peoples, the way God is going to bring a blessing to all peoples is in the Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, who's going to provide an atoning sacrifice, not just for Jews, but for all people. What elements do we have in the book of Jonah that uh, we would call messianic, other than just the fact God cares for all people? Well, I'll tell you one that jumps out at me, and I, I called attention to it, as we, as we were going through the story of Jonah, and that's in Jonah chapter 2, where Jonah cries out to God. Let me get, I lost Jonah. Amos Obadiah, Jonah. There it is. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, he says, uh, I called out from my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Thou dost hear my voice. He's in the sea. I, I think that when he says this, he's in the belly of the fish, but the great fish. But the point is, he doesn't say fish. He doesn't say sea. He says Sheol, the realm of the dead. He uses the word that refers to the realm of the dead that is used in Psalm 16 and quoted in Acts 2 uh, with reference to Jesus, who was not to be left unto Hades. Jesus died. He went into the grave. He went into death and was therefore, as, as we say, three days. We may have time to talk about three days and three nights. I'm not sure we'll get to that. But he's there for that period of time, and then he's raised. Here is Jonah, and he uses that language. And uh, so it's an anticipation of Jesus going into the grave, Sheol, Hades, and then being raised from the dead that's the means whereby God is going to ultimately save not just Jews, but Gentiles. So that's one messianic aspect of the book of Jonah. Yeah, I would also add to those Psalms, uh, Psalm 22. Um, uh, you have it here in Jonah 2, 2. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Think about the affliction that is described of Christ on the cross in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He begins to describe all of the affliction that he's facing on the cross. And then what is it? Psalm 22, 22, I think it is. He says, but you have answered me. You have very much the same, you know, that verse is sort of a, a synopsis of Psalm 22. If we, you know, thought of it in, in terms of Christ. 
Now, there are some other things that are interesting as we, as we look at Jonah and see kind of uh, themes in the book of Jonah that we see repeated in the New Testament. Um, and, and Joe, you were, you were going to talk with us a little bit about Jonah and Peter. Uh, yeah, I'll just uh, mention this briefly. I don't want to invent things, but um, if, if we as Christians are going to learn from, uh, from Jonah and uh, uh, try to do better, you know, we, we see Jonah as, as failing at his uh, missionary uh, commission that God sends him on to, to save the lost, um, both in attitude uh, and then God has to uh, uh, take care of that, even in Jonah's unwillingness all the way through. And then you, you come to the New Testament, and you think about, well, what about when the Gentiles are going to be saved there? And so we turn to Acts, the 10th chapter, and we read about a man named Peter. Uh, and he is called to go to uh, the Gentiles' uh, house in uh, Caesarea. A man named Cornelius uh, sends for him, and he goes. And as you're reading through that story, you know, you think, okay, so here's a Jew being sent to Gentiles, and Jonah doesn't go, Peter goes. Uh, But then just pause and think through, Peter is on several occasions, particularly in the book of John, uh, his his dad's name is given. Simon Peter. Simon Bar. And and Bar means son of, Uh I guess. And uh, uh, I'm not a Greek and IV scholar, but um, <laughs> uh, uh, the so he is son of Jonah is the way that he's identified. Uh, so just think about Peter, the, the next generation or the son of Jonah. He's being sent to the Gentiles. Where is Peter, Simon Bar Jonah, when he is called in Acts the 10th chapter? He was in the coastal town of Joppa, right there on the Mediterranean coast. And so you have Joppa being mentioned uh, as well. Um, Just to make make the point, Jonah, when he fled from the Lord, went down to Joppa and found a ship. So it is interesting, in the short story of Jonah, that little coastal town gets mentioned, Joppa. And then in the story of Peter, it gets mentioned again. And you go on. Right. Um, and so then he is sent. He goes. Um, and I think that there are some cam- comparisons that might be made uh, throughout the rest of the story. But uh, Peter's uh, recognition or his uh, acknowledgement in Acts 10 and in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And of course, that was the question was, you know, who is fearing God in uh, the book of Jonah? Um, uh, the, the mariners, uh, the sailors, they feared the Lord in Jonah 1.9. They, they feared the Lord in Jonah 1.16. Uh, the, uh, the Ninevites, I don't know that it uses the word that they feared the Lord. Maybe it does. Um, but certainly they show by believing God, proclaiming a fast, they... They believe God, and they work righteousness. They do what's right to be pleasing in God's sight. They show their repentance. Um, uh, and so you have those comparisons between what Peter understands. God's wanting everybody to be saved, and, and he's quite content in doing that. Well, there's, there's also—go oh, ahead, Chase. I was just going to say, well, sorry, I was going to make another New Testament comparison, and I cut out for a little bit, so I don't know what was said, so you go ahead. Well, just real quick this. 
just this jumps out. God, Jonah, in order to be compelled to go to Nineveh and preach to these Gentiles, it required a dramatic sign from God. Right. Peter had a dramatic sign from the Lord that the various creatures, including unclean, being lowered in a, in a sheet from the sky and him being told, arise, kill, and eat. And, and then he came to understand, oh, okay, so I'm supposed to go to these Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, there, P- Peter needs to be told that. And I will back up and make one comment about Jonah that uh, Chase said earlier about the, the children's story, and that's often where this is left. Even more shameful than that is it's often told wrong in the children's storybooks. It's told that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And, and I mean, many of the books say that he was afraid of the Assyrians. That's why he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because he hated the Assyrians. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that they, becomes clear. There, there's no sign that he was afraid of them. He may have been, but the text doesn't tell us that at all. All right, let me run this by you. So we've got Jonah, and he foreshadows the Christ. Um, and he is, he is in, in the belly of this great fish. And uh, it says, Jesus says it was three days and three nights. And then Jesus is in the grave three days and three nights. And, uh, and he is raised. And then you see what seems to be a parallel between Jonah and Peter. The book of Acts can be described uh, this way. It, is especially, it especially focuses upon the work of Peter and then Paul. Peter, the apostle to the circumcision, and Paul, the apostle to the uncircumcision. And it seems you've laid out some connections between Jonah, God's Old Testament messenger, and Peter, but and Peter when he went to the Gentiles, and then Paul, the apostle to the uncircumcision, to the Gentiles. We also see some parallels in this way. Just as Jesus was three days and three nights in the grave and then arose, Peter, uh, Paul was three days without sight, and then Ananias came to him and said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so you have Jonah, who is as good as dead in the belly of the fish, and after three days and three nights, he stands up on the land and goes and does God's bidding. Jesus, in the grave three days and three nights, is raised from the dead. Paul, without sight for three days, and goes and preaches to the Gentiles after being told, arise. Um, Jesus uh, died and new life. Paul uh, put the old man to death, uh, dead for three days, so to speak, is baptized, arises, new life. So you kind of see a theme running all the way through there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that there there is maybe a three-day argument made even in, in Acts, the 10th chapter. I'm not going to push that too hard, uh, but you can, you know, everybody can look at that later on if you'd like. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, Cornelius' reference to uh, four days ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, now, um, so we, we, we see the book of Jonah. It's, it's something that Jesus indicated happened. Um, there's a message there, and there's a thematic tie-in. It's, it's crafted in such a way as to anticipate some things in the New Testament. Let's talk a little bit about the fact, well, I guess we've already talked about the fact that 
what we see in Jonah is the power in the word. It's not in, I'm not saying let's not try to be skillful in our presentations of God's word. I'm not saying let's not uh, try to put together our Bible lessons or our sermons or whatever in a coherent way. But ultimately, the power is not in you or me. The power is in the word of God. Amen. Here's this Jonah, and he's, he's the messenger that the Ninevites have, and he doesn't want to see him saved. And yet they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Yeah. We have, goes, go ahead. I was just going to say we have an imperfect messenger with a perfect message. Mm-hmm. Jesus goes ahead to say uh, that the men of his generation, the first century Jews, had a greater messenger than that of Jonah, one who truly cared for them, was going to give his life for them, Jesus himself. And they weren't willing to believe him, and that in that way, the men of Nineveh would stand up in judgment against them in the last day. In other words, by comparison, they would not fare very well when compared with the men of Nineveh. Uh, but, but what that says is we all have an opportunity to respond to God's word, regardless of how skillful the messenger is who delivers it to us. Yeah, exactly. It is the gospel that saves. And aren't we thankful for that? Yeah, amen. All right, uh, a couple of other things that, that we want to talk about here in the last five minutes of the webcast. Is anybody checking the Facebook's page? Best yeah. Facebook? <laughs> you need another second? <laughs> you say that three times? Yeah. No, I can't. No, I can't. Do we have any comments? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we got one in, and it was on, I believe, when we were talking about Peter. It says, I'm reminded of Peter's statement in Second Peter 2.9 about God is long-suffering, desires all to repent, um, very similar to Acts, the 10th chapter. Yeah, very good. Okay, um, I like this little observation. Jonah starts out uh, running away from God. God. He has responsibility, and he gets on a boat headed the other direction. Then he gets in trouble, and he cries out to God. And all right, then God tells him again, go to Nineveh. So now he goes to Nineveh, and he does what God says. So at that point, you could say he's he's walking with God. At least on a leash. He's what? <laughs> did you say ish? No, on a leash. On a leash. Okay. <laughs> but then he gets ahead of God. When God is willing to forgive, he's not. He wants to condemn those whom God is not going to condemn. And that reminds me of what we read in the New Testament. Uh, I'm specifically thinking of the book of James and James chapter 4 and verse uh, 11, where James says, Speak not one against another, brethren. He that speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. One only is the lawgiver and judge, even he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? I think it's important that we learn this lesson. If God is willing to forgive somebody, I'd better be willing to forgive somebody. Uh, I can't be more judgmental than God. I don't have the right to be. Uh, that, that is exactly right. Jonah just had no concern for the salvation of anybody except for the Israelites, it appears. And you look back at the time of Jeroboam II, and Israel was not exactly the ideal nation. Um, and so it really is, uh, you know, his is a very, forgive me, nationalistic uh, viewpoint of, of salvation. 
Yeah, it was an idolatrous period. Jeroboam was not held up as as a model um, uh, among the kings of um, of Israel. This is in Second Kings, the fourteenth chapter, and uh, verse twenty four says that um, uh, Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I've got that. In the, so go back to verse twenty three. Right. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash king of Israel became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did, oh yeah, yeah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam. That'd be Jeroboam the first, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And then it's in verse 25 that it mentions Jonah the prophet uh, during his reign. All right. Well, any final thoughts here about the book yeah. of Jonah? I, I think this lesson for me is just so important. Next time I, I go to make up my mind, about somebody and uh, make up that they won't repent. Remember that story of Jonah. Yes. Remember how it ended up for him because he was of that way of thinking that it was up to him. Um, and think about that as we go throughout our, our lives. All right. All right. Good, good note to end on. Well, we hope that you got something out of this study of the book of Jonah today. Uh, Lord willing, we will see you next week, Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Um, are, are, are we all good for next week? I think so. Okay. Yeah. All good. right. All right. Very good. And so with that, we'll sign off for today.